you can't raise body confident kids if you're not confident yourself. Mm-hmm. And there are still many confident moms whose children have had eating disorders because culture is very strong. So not saying any mom gives your kid an eating disorder or vice versa, yes. or you can protect your kid from one perhaps. But this concept of like, we as women have to do this work ourselves. We have to realize that our bodies are the way they are. And there's so much body acceptance, radical acceptance, genetics, complexities, aging, like hormonal changes, like our bodies are changing and shifting and they are what they are. And if we cannot really do some of that work on our relationship with our bodies, our relationship with food, our fears of weight, our fat phobia, and all of that, we cannot raise a generation that is finally going to change the dialogue around all of this. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Rachel Coleman. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist with 15 years of experience treating eating disorders and also the co-host of the podcast, Mom Jeans. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So, Rachel, when did you start focusing your practice on eating disorders? When did that become an interest of yours? I started my entire career in this field knowing that this is the population I wanted to work with. I just was always so fascinated by how women, especially, but I know eating disorders are all genders. Um, really just internalize the messages of our diet culture and internalize messages that they receive from other people or just from trauma and kind of take it out on their bodies. And so I was just always really fascinated of how we can help women just become so much more free from this messaging and from blaming their bodies and thinking that their bodies are a huge problem that needs to always be fixed. Like, I just feel like we're all created for more than, than that. And so I think this Mm -hmm. is always just a passion of mine to figure out exactly how we can kind of help people break free from that cycle. And then also really reframe just the messaging out there. I studied in college, just the impact of advertisements on people's self-esteem and self-worth. And it's just, there's such a direct correlation in the studies we did of like showing college students at the time, that was kind of the study we were looking at, showing college students certain advertising images. And when they were the, you know, stereotypical like Victoria's Secret models, the way they felt about their body directly dropped afterwards versus when we showed them just more average pictures. And that's just what we're bombarded with all day long. We can't even drive Mm -hmm. down the freeway without a billboard in our face telling us there's something wrong with our body. So Mm -hmm. that has just always been a passion of mine to figure out exactly how that impacts the psyche and then how that impacts our relationship with our body and ourselves. Yeah, I was thinking about that in a sense, because right now during lockdown, I'm not as bombarded as I usually am by other people, of course, and by images. I do watch a lot of shows Mm. right now, but I'm not really keeping up on gossip stuff or celebrity culture. But in terms of being out in the world and looking at other women and their bodies Mm -hmm. and wondering where I measure up, that has just not happened for me lately. And I realize that if we all lived in more of a vacuum like this, I wonder how healthy we could get. Mm -hmm. 
about body image and where we are in the world. I wonder if it's a safer time or if it's a harder time for people with eating disorders. Well, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, I think comparison is the thief of body peace. You know, we, did you, whenever did we, you coin that, Rachel? Is yeah, that I'm going to, I think I'm going to, it'll be my mouth, <laughs> you know, it's the thief of joy, but it's also the thief of body peace. Like we can feel like, I think that's why I love the term relationship with our bodies. Like we are in a relationship with our bodies, like the way we treat it, the way we talk to it, the way we listen to it. Yeah. And we really lose that when we're getting in our heads. And we get in our heads when we are comparing, when we're scrolling through pictures and thinking she looks like this and I don't look like that, you know? And so, so much of our head gets in the way of our relationship with our body. Um, So I think that's an interesting point, like what you're noticing, what you are taking in and what information you're consuming and what kind of knowledge you're processing is impacting you, thankfully for the good now. Yeah, I think so. And and are you noticing any difference in your eating disorder clients in, in their self-talk or in what they're trying to manage right now during lockdowns? I know, talking to their therapists, I know that everyone's kind of processing this in a variety of ways. My clients, I've noticed, it's a big decrease in anxiety because we're not having as much busyness going on in our lives. And that has impacted positively people's relationship with their food and their bodies. Um, Because there's just not this constant perfectionism, anxiety, like, yeah, to your point, when we lose a lot of the in-your-face comparison culture, we're able to kind of relax a little bit more. And so I think a lot of my clients are kind of enjoying having a little bit of a quieter life. Mm -hmm. But I think what's been really interesting for myself, my friends, um, and then also my clients, is that how much we're really looking at how normal it is to kind of figure out how much we use food to cope. Mm. You know, I was talking to a friend and she was kind of saying like, I don't want to feel like the only thing going on in my day is like food and drink. And I was like, I know, but that's like all we have. (laughs) Like how that's cool. Like how awesome is it that we have, that food offers pleasure, that food is something we can look forward to, that food is a comfort. Like it's kind of cool when we're able to normalize and find a place for eating and for food. That's not this diet culture, like food is bad. Food is something to be avoided. Food is something you wrestle with. Like Mm -hmm. how cool is it that like most of our coping skills have been stripped away Mm. and we are looking forward to dinner. And that is so awesome. Like what a joy. (laughs) Right. Like what, what, what do you have going on today? Um, lunch. I don't know. (laughs) I'm looking forward to my glass of wine later tonight. Like, yeah. and so I think it's cool that people have been able to kind of like sort through emotional eating or any diet culture beliefs that have kind of been coming up, you know, cause it's, it's bugging me all the memes going around about, about like, you know, how much weight we're going to gain in quarantine. Right. Or the quarantine 15. Yeah. I totally was going to ask you about that. Yes. That's bugging me because that is also fat phobic. Mm -hmm. You know, that is saying like, we believe people are in larger bodies because of simple diet exercise lifestyles, which is not true at all. There Mm -hmm. is so many more complexities and components to everyone's body size. And it's also 
it's also, again, kind of talking about like, well, when I just stop and sit around and eat, like I can't control myself or there's some sort of element there of, again, this element of like what leads to people's body sizes that is very fat phobic and shows a lot of stigmatization of people's body types. And Mm -hmm. it's also, I think, revealing the fact that people don't know how to have a relationship with food that's in moderation and balance. So they just think like, oh, I just kind of am the person who tries, you know, one diet after another. Well, now I'm in quarantine and now I'm just going to eat everything. And it's like, maybe, maybe that's actually a sign that you did not have balance before then, or you have a lot of work to do on diet culture. Like if you're right now standing in your kitchen going, hmm, I should probably eat something healthier. Like, ah, screw it. We're in quarantine. I'll eat whatever I want. Like that is a sign that you have never healed your relationship with your body and your relationship with food. You could have that balance in quarantine and not in quarantine. Mm-hmm. And when you say that people may, may not have healed their relationship with food, are you, are you saying that if it is it sort of a dysregulation to use it as sort of like a bomb or like, what's the difference? You know, you, you, this is your area of expertise. So what's the difference for someone who's looking forward to a really good dinner? They planned it, they know what they want or their glass mm-hmm. of wine. And the person who's looking at their pile of, um, cookies or, you know, in my case, we have some delicious salty snacks from the gas station I went and got, you know, just, it's like our little, our little like, uh, trove, um, for occasional snacking Mm -hmm. while we're watching TV and stuff. Like what's the difference between someone saying, I may as well just go all out because it's all over anyway. And looking forward to a delicious meal that they've been thinking about, like, how do they know if maybe they're not, you know, balanced? I think a huge piece of it is if you have a severe fear of weight gain. Mm -hmm. I think when you fear weight gain and when you fear getting fat and when you have stigmatizations of other people's bodies in your body, that is where you lose your intuition, Mm -hmm. right? That's where we get into our heads and out of our bodies, what we were talking about earlier. I think that we, when you can look at food as something that is not a threat, but as something to enjoy, it's because you're not scared of what food's going to do to you, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So I think when we really heal any of any fears of our bodies and when we are able to heal what our genetics are predisposed to be and look like and do, then we can just say, you know what? My body is what it is and all bodies are good bodies. And I'm going to let go of any of the cultural stereotypes of what my body should look like and what bodies are attractive or what bodies should be praised or what bodies should be hidden. And I'm letting go of all of that narrative. And when I let go of that narrative, I'm able to think about what am I hungry for? When am I full? What kind of food do I want? Mm-hmm. You know, when do I want to eat? When do I want to just move my body? When do I want to take a nap? When do I want to go for a run? Like when we're, we were able to get so much more in touch with our, mm-hmm. our body signals, when we let go of our fears and our phobias. It sounds like when people do that, they're able to listen to their body better and, and do what their body needs rather than dictate what their body should do based on some idea of self-punishment or some type of shame. Yes. You said before, and I'm familiar with body positivity and, and this whole idea of, you know, healthism and health at every size, you know, all these variety of, of different Mm -hmm. ideas that have been coming out to the fore, but I know that not everyone is. Now, earlier you said that 
to to think that someone is a certain size or weight because of some type of responsibility they have or some kind of lack of responsibility for caring about themselves is outmoded. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your your perspective on what this whole what size is a means and why the way someone looks does not mean that they're healthy or not healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the health at every size movement is a social justice movement that was really founded by people who were really sick of being stigmatized for their body. You cannot assume anyone's health based on what they look like. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you're able to let go of any stigmas of health and body size, then you're able to kind of just allow so much more room for accepting everybody's different sizes and shapes and looks. That idea of like other people watching other people and and judging or making this decision that they mm-hmm. must be, uh, you know, binging or they must not exercise or they must not mm-hmm. love themselves or they really can't be that um, disciplined if they've let themselves do X, Y, or Z, right? That, that sort of shame mm-hmm. component when someone may not have the idealized Western body type and that that's not accurate. Right. Especially in our culture, we apply so much morality to food and body size. Like if you have a good body, you must be good. If you have a bad body, you must be bad. And so I think healthism is especially going like, well, I'm a better person because I'm eating these quote unquote healthier foods, (laughs) or I am a morally superior person because I run marathons. Like and our American culture loves to apply so much morality and worth to the way we look and to our lifestyle choices, which is why mm-hmm. lifestyle choice is even such a buzzword these days. Like, well, look at the choices I'm making for my lifestyle. Like mm-hmm. if there's such a, just like a, right, like a yeah. air to that kind of term. Um, and so I think, again, this health at every size movement and just so much about this deconstructing of diet culture messaging is going, it is so much more complicated than that. Like people are all different sizes because of their genetics, because of hormone imbalances, because of trauma, um, Mm. because of yo-yo dieting. Like people have tried to get that body that is socially acceptable and it has 100% affected their relationship with food. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there is just so much, there's so much more to it than just a quarantine 15. And yeah. I, I don't like that it's reduced to, I don't like it's reduced to that and simplified like that. And then I don't love that there is always this stigma that goes along with those, those jokes and, and that mm-hmm. simplification. It's interesting. I had not thought about that idea of morality and body size and shape and food and your ability to restrict. I mean, I thought about it in terms of popular culture and what's, you know, aesthetically, you know, quote, aesthetically pleasing in in our culture. But the idea of this Western fascination with morality and what you take into your body and stuff, I hadn't heard that before. Mm-hmm. Is that is that pretty well studied or is that something that you had a special interest in when you were in school? I mean, I don't know about well-studied. There are some interesting books out there. Um, There's the Religion of Dieting book. There's The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf. Mm -hmm. And some of those are really looking at how there is just this underlying messaging. I think what's, what's interesting about it is the privilege too. Like 
when we have access to different food choices and when we have the resources to have different forms of movement or we have just more options because of our financial privilege or things like our schedule is because we're not working as much or whatever, mm-hmm. our privilege allows us to have more choices. And so therefore we're able to kind of apply more of this healthism. Like, well, because I have all these options, I'm going to therefore choose the healthier option and then I'm going to feel better about myself. And it kind of creates this like monster. And I think we need to really look at the fact that like, we have to just be grateful. Like all foods fit, all foods can provide nourishment. Like there are people who don't have these options, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like WIC and the government aid, like they do not cover organic fresh vegetables. It's the canned vegetables. There's nothing wrong with that. Like that food, it feeds, it's got nutritional components. It is what it is. Like, and so I think we always have to be checking to our privilege when we get stuck in this, this morality mindset, this, this healthism, we really need to check the fact that like, we are way overanalyzing all of this. And we (laughs) need to really realize that like, (laughs) there's so much more flexibility in everything. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we even have the ability, so many people who are listening, I would presume, have the ability to go to the grocery store and stock up a little bit for, you know, leaner, you know, the, the times that we were worried about happening during the pandemic or the privilege mm-hmm. that we have in, in being able to order so much food at once to stock our pantry, mm-hmm. like that alone is a privilege. And it is kind of a funny juxtaposition, juxtaposition, because here we are in a time where we have so many unknowns about the future and the way we're going to live. And it almost seems, it's it's kind of, I don't know if the word is grotesque, but it almost is, it's hard to believe that we can still worry about our bodies and we can still worry about whether or not we're going to put on a few and we're still going to try to compare ourselves because there are so many things happening in the world right now, right at our doorstep. Mm -hmm. Which again is a sign of our privilege. The fact that we like know that to a certain degree that we might have a lot of resources to fall back on so we can still worry about our bodies you know, there's some people who are worrying about paying rent. There's some people who like are really, really worried about what they're going to do with their special needs child now that they don't have the special needs school that it's open. Like there are big problems mm-hmm. going on right now. And if your body changes as a result, of course it will. Why would it not? I mean, everything in our lives have changed. Our social life, our work, our home environment, homeschooling, our financial income. Like, why would our bodies not change as well? (laughs) Like, it's Mm -hmm. a huge component of who we are. And so I think, again, if we're saying, like, well, my body must look a certain way and it must, you know, when when quarantine's over, it's going to be bathing suit season and I must look a certain (laughs) way and I have to do all my at-home workouts that I'm seeing on Instagram. Like, wow, how about just be so grateful that we can feed our bodies in whatever ways that we are able to afford and that we have the, you know, certain privileges that we have. Yes. You know, you mentioned trauma so far a couple of times in our conversation, and I do want to go back to that because trauma is a part of so many people's growing up life and of course, some people's adult life. But there is a connection, I believe, direct connection between trauma and eating disorders. And I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about that and your experience working with people on that. Mm hmm. Yeah, there, trauma is definitely an underlying condition to a lot of eating disorders. Um, there is, you know, a body disconnect that occurs in trauma. 
And that can also then relate to how we listen to our body's hunger and fullness cues and just how overall we feel about our body. Um, I think we all kind of take for granted the subtle messaging that our body uses to communicate hunger, fullness, and satisfaction. And so trauma can absolutely be an interrupter to that. And then there's also just a psychological component, obviously, that trauma affects. And that can also affect our feeling like we deserve to eat or we deserve the self-care that a lot of times food is. There are some really interesting studies done that I can send over to you. Um, One of the biggest studies, I'm blanking on the name right now, but one of the biggest studies was done by someone who was hired by the government to study obesity I don't love that word. So that's why Mm -hmm. I kind of hesitated. Um, I think it's a social construct, Um, but hired by the government to study it. And at the end of all of his months of studying and thousands of participants and everything, his famous quote was that people are not at their weight because they quote unquote, don't know better. You know, it's not like a nutrition lifestyle issue. It's because of trauma. And he's, oh, he's the guy who's, who came up with the adverse childhood. Oh, adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is the researcher that came up with that. So he was hired by the government to study weight and he came up with the ACE score because he realized how much of trauma and psychological distress affects people's relationship with food and then affects maybe potentially their body size. And um, so that was a really interesting, like groundbreaking connection. Mm-hmm. So you said that you went into this field, you were already interested in eating disorders. And I'm wondering about you going back to high school or middle school. Were you body positive back then when you were younger before there was this bigger picture to kind of become part of? Did you already have this sense of advocating within you? Such a big question. Where to start? Okay. So <laughs> I think So I think there's two components there. One component, this is the shorter answer, so I'll go with that one first. One component is I've always been in a smaller body and have always received kind of compliments or um, a lot of times backhanded compliments about it. And that always was kind of a weird feeling because I knew there was nothing I was doing to be in my body. Mm. Like my body was the way it was because I just woke up every day. And so (laughs) it felt strange to be told or assumed certain things about that when I knew that this was just who I was. And so I absolutely be started kind of getting some seeds planted for what would become more advocacy work when I realized that, it, you know, it's it's not fair that some of my friends are in larger bodies are beating themselves up or dieting or developing mm-hmm. eating disorders because they felt like there was something wrong with their body when I knew they were just waking up every single day in that body too. Like we all were mm-hmm. together all the time. Like this is just the way we were. Like, you know, there was there was nothing anybody was doing right or wrong. And so I think that was kind of an interesting um, just beginning seed that was planted as I was growing up. And then I think the other piece too was I grew up in a family where um, my mom, my grandmother hated their bodies and just bashed their bodies all the time. And 
dieted and yo-yo dieted and just constantly were criticizing their bodies and never felt comfortable wearing bathing suits. And I mean, we were all just very aware of Mm -hmm. how much shame they had. Did you have, do you have siblings? Yes. And um, were, were, was your grandfather and your father in the room for these conversations or these comments by your grandmother and mother? Was it sort of just a general statement constantly in front of people? Yeah. Yeah. And they would kind of just roll their eyes like, oh, babe, stop. You're beautiful. And, you know, oh, you're Mm -hmm. so nice to still say that, like, like he's throwing her a bone, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. like, or, or the problem is not your body or the problem is your mindset. And it just, it, it always saddened me that they just constantly felt so held back by their bodies because that was their attitude. Like, I can't do this and I can't wear that because of the way I look, or I can't eat mm-hmm. that because of the way I look. And it just, it was, it was always just so sad to watch that and watch that still to this day. Um, I mean, my grandmother's in her eighties and still every time I talk to her, make some sort hmm. of comment about how much she hates her body. Is that your mother's mom? Yes. And from your understanding, did they grow up in families that just, as far as you know, is this like a family trait that kind of broke with you? A little bit. Um, I mean, uh, one of the big pieces of why I started my podcast too, was just really looking at like the family legacy and looking at the diet culture messaging. And part of that is giving so much grace to our ancestors because Mm -hmm. of the messaging they received, you know, what was considered health back then and the messages they received and then what we know now. And, you know, so giving some grace to like everything that they went through, but also realizing that like, this is something that generationally gets passed down. These narratives of, well, you just have, you know, my mother's hips, like, oh, too bad we can't wear that. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. too bad, too bad we can't eat that because we've got grandmas, whatever, you know, so (laughs) just all of this like legacy language that we use and how that is being imparted on us in negative or positive ways. But a lot of times with, with the body acceptance world and the body positivity, it's all negative. And so that's what we're really trying to unpack is, is the narratives that we believe about ourselves that we realize aren't necessarily our own conclusions, but they're conclusions that were kind of placed upon us or ones that we learned. Right. And, and I think a lot of people can trace back into growing up or their families messages they got about themselves, body oriented or not, I can think of some about myself that just became the message that you heard or was actually said or something that you inferred about yourself and never really double checked in some cases. And then you just grow up feeling this way about yourself and you might believe it for the rest of your days unless you look at it again or someone who is close to you and loves you says, wait a minute, that's, that's not necessarily true. Why do you think that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we're not taught how to double check some of those messaging, and if we're not taught kind of more of this radical concept of what is our diet culture saying to us, or what is our beauty industry selling you, then mm-hmm. we're just assuming that these messages and these beliefs are our truth. And I think taking a kind of a more of a logical 
lens to some of these messages or looking a little bit at the the messaging that we're receiving from the culture is a really interesting way of kind of thinking, you know what, maybe that isn't the way it is. Maybe mm-hmm. that isn't the truth. Maybe there's a different way to look at this. And maybe it's is more of a social construct. Yeah. And I wonder also about you, because you said that you were sort of noticed for having a smaller body and it seems like, and I don't want to oversimplify your experience, but it seems really remarkable that you didn't absorb those messages to to the point that they made you sick or unhappy with your body. Like, I don't know if you had siblings that didn't get away so so easily or luckily, but it seems kind of remarkable that you were able to hear those messages and kind of know early on, whoa, this doesn't feel right. I know. I don't know how I, I did not develop an eating disorder. Um, huh. I mean, eating disorders are very complex. There's, you know, the perfect storm. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think a big piece of it is also just what personality type you have, how you manage your anxiety, um, your levels of anxiety and depression, you know, all of those factors. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for whatever reason, the perfect storm was not created fully in me, but I absolutely, you know, had to go through a process of body acceptance and coming to the point now where I'm really becoming an advocate for all bodies and helping mm-hmm. people dismantle the messages that they have been raised by. Um, because I do know the impact of those family conversations on our body acceptance process. So how do you handle getting together with your mother or your grandmother now when their dialogue is kind of the same you mentioned. And if you have children, how do you protect them from those messages from the grandparents? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my kids are young enough that I've kind of not had to have some pretty honest conversations yet. Um, A few little things I've said are just like, hey, little ears, let's not bash our bodies. And sometimes I have said like, oh, let's not, let's not talk about that right now, please. Um, I think because my family knows my passion. Sure, I was going to ask you about that. Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're probably a little more careful around me. Um, but I, I have had to sometimes kind of jokingly and kindly say like, hey, 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 let's not, let's not go there. You know how I feel mm-hmm. about that. Right. So it is hard because they are so entrenched in this stringent definition of health that is really hard to sit there and debate. I mean, it becomes a debate of this health at every size Mm. movement because that is not the generation they were raised in. And so it is really, really interesting to kind of see how far I can kind of take some of these alternate conversations without it becoming too much of like a conflict. Um, so my work right now is just to try to have different type of conversations in my home with my children. We were Uh even watching recently America's Funniest Home videos. Um, and it was the, you know, older videos from the nineties or something Uh like that, which like I was raised by. So I'm like laughing that my kids are watching these and (laughs) there's, you know, there's always that one video here and there of someone in a larger body. And the joke is just what they can or cannot do because of their body, Uh you know? and my kids were kind of like laughing, but kind of not. And then I was like, you know, guys, why is this funny? And they're like, mm. uh, I think it's funny because like of his body. And I'm like, exactly. And is that a joke? Like is someone's body a joke? 
And they were kind of like, oh, I guess not. Mm. And I'm like, how would you feel if someone took a video of you not able to reach for something because you were short and they thought that was hilarious? Mm. And I'd be like, well, that was, that's not funny. I just can't reach it. I'm short. And I'm like, exactly. It's not, people's bodies are not a joke. That's not funny. You know, if, if someone like falls and gets hurt, who cares what their body looks like? Yeah, that's kind of like a joke. Ha ha. That's the America's Funniest Home Videos kind of concept. <laughs> but it's not funny just because they're standing there and they're in a certain body, right? So right. just kind of try to have these like these different conversations about it in my own home to kind of break some of that like that legacy and that, that dialogue. I'm wondering how frequently people that you treat or people in your peer group speak negatively about themselves in front of little ears. Um, people who are impressionable teenagers, you know, cause they really absorb that very, very easily as well. And how, how much they know to watch themselves, because it's one thing to feel a certain way about ourselves and be working on it. It's another thing to say it out loud. Like, some of your family did when you were growing up so that a kid can actually absorb it themselves, you know? So do you see a lot of self-awareness in the people around you about not sharing those thoughts with younger people? You know, I think my generation, like the moms that I'm momming with are, mm -hmm. <laughs> are much more aware of it because I think there's so much more like literature and research out there now that we're really mm -hmm. becoming aware of how these conversations can be imprinted on our children's minds. So I think there is a little bit of a turning point, but people are not applying it to themselves. It's like, oh, I don't want my daughter to be insecure, but I hate my body. And so mm. I think a huge piece of my messaging now and the work I had to do personally as I became a mom and had to deal with that mom bod stereotype and then the messaging now is like, you can't raise body confident kids if you're not confident yourself. You know, there's, and, mm -hmm. and there are still many confident moms whose children have had eating disorders because culture is very strong. So not saying any mom gives your kid an eating disorder or vice versa, yes. or you can protect your kid from one perhaps, but this concept of like, we as women have to do this work ourselves. We have to realize that our bodies are the way they are. And there's so much body acceptance, radical acceptance, genetics, complexities, aging, like hormonal changes, like our bodies are changing and shifting and they are what they are. And if we cannot really do some of that work on our relationship with our bodies, our relationship with food, our fears of weight, our fat phobia, and all of that, we cannot raise a generation that is finally going to change the dialogue around all of this. Mm -hmm. So I'm super passionate about that. And I remember when you and I first kind of connected about your podcast and that I loved your your title of it, because there is sometimes these moments when I think it kind of clicks for people. And mm. one of the, the way it clicked for me was recently, my daughter's six. And, you know, we've seen online and well, I have, she's not online, but I had seen all these like cute mommy <laughs> daughter, like bathing suits. And we live in Southern California. We go to the beach like every weekend. And I was like, well, that's kind of cute. Like she loves to match. She loves clothes. So I'm going to order these mommy daughter bathing suits. So I like showed her them online and like, we picked the one that we both liked the pattern of. And she was, I mean, she was counting down the days until it arrived in the mailbox. <laughs> she was so excited. So it arrives in the mailbox. We like run out and get it. We run upstairs. We like get changed together. I'm pretty like, whatever, change in front of my kids. Like we get changed and we're standing in front of like the full length mirror in her bedroom in the bathing suits. 
and I look in the mirror and this bathing suit fit was not the most flattering on me. It just wasn't (laughs) really my style. But in that moment, I went back to what it was like seeing my mom in a bathing suit and listening to her criticize her body. I have vivid memories of her standing in front of the mirror, just poking, prodding, criticizing, and like how impactful that was for me as a child. And I knew in that moment, that's the moment of when everything changed for me. Like I have to figure out my body positivity. I have to figure out my relationship with my body. And I have to figure out what the dialogue is going to be in my house about this because I will not Mm -hmm. do that to her. And she looked in the mirror Mm -hmm. and she went, I'll never forget it. She went, we look beautiful. And I was like, yes, we do. Let's go to the beach. Like in my head, like dying, but like, what am I, I'm not going to return it because then I have to return hers. And what message is that? Like, and I walked out and my husband kind of started laughing. It was kind of like one of those high-waisted bottoms. And he's like, oh my God, you look like a pseudo wrestler. Like you are the, like, baby, you're beautiful, but like, for sure, not the best bathing suit, but like you're a rock star mom. Let's have a great day. And then we kind of just like, should my bathing suit break? Like, I don't know. Like, mommy's got lost. I don't know what happened, but but I never, I never spoke a word of it. I mean, she just was so excited. Let's take pictures. Like, let's do it. Like, the power of how I reacted, like it was just phenomenal how that would forever change her. She would never forget that if I had criticized my body right then and there. That's right. That's right. I love that story. I love that story. And I think about your mom too. And I, I mean, I have people in my family as well. I I understand what you're talking about. It runs deep in my family as well. And I feel like I can ask you this question, though I kind of know the answer, but I'll ask it as an open-ended question because I need to interview you. Um, Do you feel like your your mother or your grandmother have ever been at peace about their body? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, because it's it's sort of like a losing game. I don't I don't think that um, there's ever a place to get to or to be that you're not going to worry about it if you approach it the way that so many people can approach it. It's really not about, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's really not about what you look like, right? Because you're never going to get there. Right. And I think this is where the health at every size component really comes in too, because I think that they'll, they'll never be able to accept their bodies because they so believe in what an acceptable body looks like. And so yeah. I, I think because they feel like they don't have the socially appropriate body, they can never allow themselves, quote unquote, to be body positive or to have body acceptance. And that's why this is such a different radical conversation to have. Like, we're not saying be body positive once you go on the diet and lose the weight and you look good. We're talking (laughs) about body positivity as this, like all of what our bodies can do, this acceptance of what our bodies genetic makeup and just genetic size and shape are. And we're talking about body positivity as a way of freeing ourselves from any social constructs and being able to live our best life because it is more than what we look like. And I've seen my mom, my grandma feel like, because I look the way I look, I cannot do these things. 
And it's just such mm. a, such a freeing feeling to realize like I can do all these things because like my body is just a vehicle for my soul, my mind, my dreams, my hopes. And it, it, it they are such a, it's such a disconnect there at that point of like what I look like and what I'm able to achieve or who I'm able to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before I ask you to help direct listeners to all the places they can find your work, do you do you ever find uh, any pushback from people in your field or people who are not in your field because you describe yourself as being in a smaller body and you're in this field? And has there ever been a conversation that around your size and your body and your ability to embrace this body at every you know, this health at every size movement and how you seemingly haven't had to worry about the things that so many people have. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And that's something that we call thin privilege. And basically Mm -hmm. it's acknowledging again, more of a social justice component of there are certain privileges to being in certain body types. You know, society will reward certain body types or um, you won't receive the stigmas being in smaller bodies, just walking down the street or the bullying or the teasing growing up. So absolutely, I'm so aware of that privilege and I will never fully understand what it's like to be bullied for my body size. And so a huge, a huge piece of the health at every size movement is always trying to support and lift up people who are doing the work and this advocacy work who are in larger bodies and really trying to kind of more instead of being like, well, I'm in a thinner body. So let me like be in the front of this movement being like, you know what? I am going to be learning from everybody else. And I'm going to be supporting and advocating for the work that they are doing, because this is so much more about them finally getting their voices heard and Mm -hmm. them sharing their stories. And I wanted to be absolutely the biggest cheerleader for them. Mm -hmm. Information. The best website is um, www.sizediversityandhealth.org. And that website kind of goes into so much of what we've been talking about today. Oh, great. So where can people find you? So my private practice is in Orange County. So I do see people locally here. My website for that is rachelcolemancedes.com. That stands for Certified Eating Disorder Specialist. Um, I'm dabbling a little bit on social media at Rachel Coleman MFT. And then my podcast is called Mom Jeans, and that's G-E-N-E-S. Um, that can be found in a variety of platforms. And that kind of goes into a lot about what we're talking about. Um, we, you know, talk about health at every size. We talk about intuitive eating. We talk about breaking the diet legacy. We talk about healing your relationship with your body. We talk about, you know, just all of the different components of um, accepting your mom bod and, and, and healing, healing whatever narrative you've got going on in your head. That's great. A really good source of support and um, community there. Thank you so much for being my guest. Sure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening.